0: Let's pray. Father, I just want to thank you for your presence here. We thank you that your word will go forth and not come back void. It'll accomplish what you sent it to do. I just ask that you'll uh, help me to communicate your truths, your love, and help me just kind of stay out of the way, Holy Spirit, and you just be able to really even speak between the lines and, and be able to just minister to each person here, no matter what their age, no matter where they're at in their walk with you, Lord. So we just want to, again, just say we love you and just open up our hearts for you to speak to us in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, You may have a seat. Hallelujah. Anybody feel God's presence during the worship and just sense that uh, God's here? Amen. Hallelujah. Well, if you've got a Bible or an electronic device with the words of God on it, if you'll hold it up in the air, shake it a little bit, make the bookstores glad and the devil mad, and let's chop off some devil's heads. Na, 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 na. Oh, well, we got one or two. I hope in you're understanding that this is a spiritual weapon because we don't fight against flesh and blood, but against powers, principalities, rules of darkness, things we can't see, and this is the only thing that will make the enemy bow down. And if you believe that, repeat after me. This Bible has the power to change my life, to change my city. I can do what this Bible says I can do. I'll be a history maker and a world shaker. This Bible's a truth detector, a sin deflector, a faith inflator. I'm going to read it now, I'm going to read it later. If you believe that, give Jesus a shout and a hand clap, so I know I'm in the right place today. Amen. Hallelujah. We're continuing a series, and this is the third part of a series called The Great Escape. All right? And it's about having power over temptation and getting victory over temptation. And if you need to catch those first two messages, you can go online, churchinarrot.org, or you can get our app and download messages and just catch up on that. But first of all, I hope you're reading your Bible. And we do have new Bible guides. It's a first of the month. You can follow along in these Bible guides at the back of the church. Get one on the way out or in the foyer. And that way you can just kind of follow along if you don't have a, baby, a daily Bible reading guide you go through. And a lot of times we end up preaching, Pastor John and myself, something we've been reading that week. And it just kind of will come even alive more. But there's a good chance you haven't been reading your Bible enough. If you go to sell it on Amazon and it says, like new condition, maybe you haven't been reading your Bible enough. Or maybe you know more verses from Tim Tebow's Eye Black than you do your own Bible. Then you maybe have not been reading your Bible enough. But uh, not the case in this room, right? Amen. Okay, so we're going to talk about temptation. Temptation can bring different thoughts to all of us. For some of us, it could be an ice cream sundae. For others, it might be your mom's purse up on the counter and she's not around. Or maybe it's that uh, fantasy of lust or some sight on, a, uh, on a, the computer of some sort. Uh, remember early in Pastor Travis's uh, youth ministry years, I overheard him counseling with a young man that had a problem with stealing and was just stealing a lot. And he sat down and talked to him and said, Now, you know you need to resist that temptation. But if you can't, I could use a big flat-screen TV, and uh, he didn't really say that. Anyhow. But falling into temptation can have serious consequences. Last week, we read out of Matthew 4, where Jesus was tempted, okay? And he replied, it is written. And that's how he got the enemy to back down. He had the the Word of God, used the Word of God. But we also saw in that story that this was a time of great success for Jesus. I mean, the, just baptized, the skies opened up, that voice, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. But a lot of times after a success, the enemy can come and begin to tempt you. And just kind of drift you away from your walk with God. And we talked about that a little last week. But a lot of times we have a lot of excuses and we blame a lot of people. For, and I don't know how many are old enough to remember Flip Wilson, comedian that would dress up like a woman. I think it was called Geraldine. And uh, and anything that would go wrong, the devil made me do it. And that was the excuse. And a lot of times we say, well, the devil made me do it. Or in my case in college, when I got caught driving through somebody's uh, farm field and destroying their crops and uh, got a $500 fine, you know, my Uncle Jack made me do that. My Uncle Jack Daniels or my cousin Jose Cuervo or whoever. But they didn't make anybody do that, right? You made that decision when you screwed that lid off of that thing. And it's gotten some of you in some deep water. And God wants to set you free from that stuff. Amen? But James was even dealing with the issue that some people were blaming God for what was going on. Listen to James 1, 13. Let no one say, when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. You need to understand, wherever there is sin, there is some sort of death. Adultery or sex outside of marriage means death to your relationship. Compromise, death to influence. Ultimately, it means death, death to intimacy with God, death to peace, peace, and death to joy. Temptation plus sin equals death. The question you need to ask yourself is the fulfillment of that temptation worth what it's going to destroy? And it usually isn't. It never is. It might seem like at first, but there's always that progression. Because sin always costs you more than you think it's going to cost you, takes you farther than you think it's going to take you, leaves you in a place you never thought it'd leave you. Temptations like landmines you've got to watch where you walk. And the devil is behind sin, but it's our choice whether we're going to let it in or not. Okay? Way back, the first murder in the Bible, Cain and Abel. I mean, first of all, where it started was with some anger towards somebody. And in Genesis 4-7, sin lies at the door, or crouches at the door, and its desire is for you, but you should rule over it. It's like sin's just waiting for you to give it an opening. Sometimes unforgiveness can give an opening. Bitterness, anger, all those things can kind of open a door. And you've got to be careful because the enemy is ready to jump and pounce. Let's go back and read the scripture that this whole series was based on. We've read each service. It's 1 Corinthians 10, 13. No temptation has overtaken you except such as common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able. But with the temptation will also make the way of escape, say escape, escape, that you may be able to bear it. Okay? We talked a couple weeks ago about... And sh- ships used to sink a lot in the old days. They put too much weight in them and the, the temperature of water would change or whatever and they would sink or a storm would come. So this guy in England named Plimsoll put a mark on the boats called the Plimsoll mark. And they wouldn't load it below that mark and then they wouldn't shipwreck. And God has put a mark on us that says, devil, you can't go any farther than this and he is faithful to make a way out. You just have to look for that way and be obedient to go out that door that he makes or the window you have to crawl through. But we use the word escape. Each letter stood for something. The E stands for environment. And like I said, you can go back and get these messages off the Internet. But your environment will make or break you. Show me your friends. I'll show you your future, who you hang with, places you go to determine whether you're going to grow spiritually or not. The S was spend time with God. Instead of focusing so much on, on the weakness or the temptation, just focus on getting strong. All right? It's that way even with dining. Just go to the gym and do the running stuff, and the other stuff doesn't seem as tempting anymore. It's just a good principle. Spend time with God. The C, with the double, daily double, the first C was confess. We need to confess our faults to God. Confess our sins, and then He's faithful and just to forgive us. And the problem is when we stop confessing, thinking, oh, God's already heard this. I've done this so many times. That's when you begin to lose the battle. Confess, confess. Just continue to confess to God. The C was, other C was claim Scripture. You've got to have the it is written. You've got to have... But it's going to be hard for this to come out of you if you haven't put anything in you. So get it in you. Run it over your tongue. Have a, begin, if you just repeat it and repeat it, it'll be carved on your heart. And then you can say, no weapon formed against me will prosper. You know, have it on a, a little three by five card. Write it on your mirror, whatever it takes. And the A was accountability. Accountability. True accountability is when you confess a sin or need, then you give somebody permission and the leverage to hold you accountable. Okay? It's more than just sharing with somebody. It's actually giving them some power to kind of hold you to it. I also talked about fishing and how some days you can go out and just catch a mess of fish on a certain bait. Other times, they're just not biting. The enemy knows what you're biting on today, whether it's lust or money or greed, whatever it may be. He knows what you're biting on. He knows when you're the weakest and what your weak weakness is. He knows those things. That's his job. And he's good at it. Let's talk about the lure of temptation. My little fishing pole up here. Okay, a lure. You know, it kinda looks like a fish when it goes through the water. You're just moving along, looking like a fish and looks tasty. Except what's on this thing? There's hooks. Okay, I mean, it looks good, looks tempting, but there's hooks on here. And this is kind of what the enemy does, all right? And kind of how temptation comes. For the believer, and James was writing to believers, okay? Because, again, the thought had come out, God must be sending this my way. But James says, you can't blame God. Don't blame Him. So you need to make a distinction between temptation and trials, okay? Temptation is birthed by the enemy to do you harm. A trial is something God can use to test your maturity. Okay? Now, we're having on TV right now the Olympic what? Trials. They don't have these trials to see how many swimmers they can drown or how many athletes they can hurt. What they're doing is just testing them to see, giving them a trial to see, hey, are they ready to go to the next level? Are they going to be able to, you know, represent our company, our country? And God's looking for Christians that can represent Him in their finances that they're faithful and God can trust and allow the finances to flow through Him. But we're ready to move into a, a time of signs, wonders, and miracles. I really believe, and young people hear me, I believe that next great revival is going to be issued primarily through young people and it's going to be signs, wonders, and miracles. Where like the Bible says, believers will lay hands on the sick and they'll recover. But He's got to trust you with that power. Amen? That you don't get all, hey, it was me or anything, that it was God doing that and you're just a vessel for Him to flow through. So the Bible says we're not tempted by God. He's holy and righteous. I've even heard people say in the middle of an adulterous affair, Oh, God sent him or her to me. Well, that does not stand up to the scrutiny of the Scripture, does it? Because first of all, God never sends anything our way to tempt us to be immoral. He never offers us a way to be dishonest. So we can never say God tempted us. All right. Now let's talk about the cause of temptation. I got these three points from a preacher named Jerry Watts. The number one cause is sinful desire. Okay, verse 14. It says, we're drawn away by our own desires. And that's interpreted carried away, dragged away, or lured away. That's where you find this hook, okay? Satan used our own sinful, selfish desires to hook us. And the enemy uses that and he drags us away. It literally means dragged or to carry away. Just like a fish. He goes after that bait. Once he gets hooked, the fisherman can drag him into the boat. Now the fish is a pla- he's at a place he doesn't want to be. And how did he get to a place he didn't want to be? He took the bait. The cause of temptation. Our eyes and our thoughts control us more than our heart. And we're dragged away by the hook of Satan. Second way is satanic deception. Okay? So sinful desire and satanic deception. At the end of verse 14, it says Satan entices us. He makes us believe that lure is really good for us. That it's something good, that it won't hurt us. Okay? We went to uh, Florida, I think it was last year, and we were able to stay at Perdido Key at a place where the ocean's on one side, but the, the inlet was on the other side. And I walk out in the little dock out there, and I see this rope going in there, so curiosity, I pull it up, and it was a crab trap. And crab track, trap, and there was crabs inside of it. So I said, I like crab. So I got me a crab trap. You throw some raw chicken in there, you throw it in there, wait overnight, and guess what? The crabs think they got a free meal. But I'm telling you, how many know nothing's free? How many got a free puppy and you're still paying for that baby? I'm telling you, nothing's free. That, what that, I mean, it was free to me at that point, that meal, but that crab lost his life over the deal. James 1.16 says, do not be deceived, my brethren. Satan uses deception. Satan, that's his big gun, deception. He uses it a lot. Number three was sorrowful disobedience. Okay? Never forget that disobedience is sin and sin is disobedience. Basically, God can ask you to do something. In your prayer time, you get a thought. Maybe lead a ministry. Maybe uh, uh, right a wrong to somebody. uh, Ask somebody to forgive you. Restore a relationship. could be a hundred different things. Okay? But the problem is we don't want to do it. And we face a dilemma. Okay? Am I obedient? Because... Unless it's complete obedience, it's disobedience. And disobedience is sin, and sin is disobedience. Okay? So there's the problem. Let's talk about the course of temptation. Alright? Realizing it's kind of a journey. couple points here. Number one, it's progressive. Say progressive. James one fourteen, But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed... Then, when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. Then sin, when it's full grown, brings forth death. Charles Stanley uses these five fingers to describe the progression. First it's a thought, then it's a consideration, then it's an attitude, then it's an action, then it's a habit. And then, boom, it's a lifestyle, and it'll knock you out. So it's progressive and it's regressive. Say regressive. Once Satan hooks you, he'll drag you back to places you didn't want to go again. Places where you already had victory and now you're back in those situations again. And the problem is you get an attitude where, oh, one more time won't hurt me. In some cases, it destroys you. Number three, it's oppressive. Jesus offers us abundant life, but sin produces death, which is the opposite of life. And when Adam and Eve sinned, it brought death to that relationship as they knew it with God. It can be death to peace and joy in a lot of things. That hook will pull you away. So now let's go to the next letter and escape. Uh, the second to the last one. It's the letter P and it stands for power. Say power. Because to survive temptation, you need to have defensive moves. But to overcome temptation, you need to be on the offense. You need some offensive moves. We talked last week about how sometimes it seems like parts of life or sometimes we get out of bed and we are immediately trying to run from the enemy. Where instead, we ought to be getting out of bed and the enemy running from us. Instead of him knocking us down, we ought to be knocking him down with this word. And it's getting on the offense, okay? You need to hook up. Now, does anybody maybe you, have, maybe you wanted to buy something, a car, a bed, whatever it was, and you're telling a friend and they go, oh, I know a friend that knows a friend that knows a friend, that has a girlfriend that can get you this real cheap. But they kind of have the hookup. Now, I have a friend, Mike Hagan. Uh, we play sports together, and he has the Mike Hagan strength team, and one of his members was here on Father's Day speaking. But it was at a time where finances weren't so good, and, and we both had a bunch of kids, I have four kids, and they're young at the time. And I'm telling Mike, I said, and he went to Disney World. I said, man, I'd like to take my di- kids to Disney World. He said, tell you what, I was at a crusade, and I met a guy that worked there, and he got me the hookup. And got my whole family in. He said, you need to call him." And he just feels like God has blessed him to bless people. And I said, well, hey, he can bless me, and I'll bless him by blessing me. And so I give him a call, kind of awkward. But he said, oh, man, just makes you feel kind. And so my whole family, all six of us, we go down there, meet him at the gate. He's got his little personal card. They punch it six times. Boom, we go in. We did that for four or five years. And one time, he didn't have enough on his card, so we got his friend to come and let him punch his card. But I'm telling you, I had the hookup. Amen? Well, you know what? Jesus has got a hookup for you if you need power. Because you need to produce some power. But if you want power, you need to go to the weight room. And I'm, I'm talking about the weight, W-A-I-T, as you see on the screen. Where you wait on the Lord and you'll renew your strength. And you do things His way. The disciples went to Jerusalem to wait for some power. Jesus said, I need you to go there. You wait. You're going to receive power to be a witness. Acts eight. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you shall be a witness to me in Jerusalem, in all Judea, Samaria, and to the end of the earth. Okay? Now, how many would agree that the disciples were saved? All right? They had a relationship. They were saved. Okay, why, having been saved, it seemed like they all backslid. I mean, when it came down to Jesus hanging on a cross, I mean, even Peter said, hey, I'll not deny you. And Jesus said, no, I'm afraid you're going to when you hear this rooster crowing, you're going to be reminded. And you're not going to be able to, you're going to, you're going to give up and quit along the way. matter of fact, Peter got to the place, he, didn't, he was so afraid, he didn't want to be identified with Christ, he began to curse like a sailor. Listen to what it says in Mark 14, 69. And the servant girl saw him again and began to say to those who stood by, hey, this is one of them, but he denied it. A little later, those who stood by said to Peter, Again, surely you're one of them, for you're a Galilean. And your speech shows it. Then he began to curse and swear. I don't know this man of whom you speak. A second time the rooster crowed. Then Peter called to mind the word that Jesus had said to him. Before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. Then he thought about it, and he wept. Now, I don't know about you, but especially early in my Christian walk, I have this thought. If I would just be able to... Live back in the times of Jesus. walk and talk with Jesus, hang out with him, see him do the miracles. Man, I'd never backslide. I'd never trip and fall because I I'm seeing all these powerful things happen. How could I? Well, those same disciples saw all the signs, wonders and miracles, and it wasn't enough. A matter of fact, they even saw him being raised from the dead. They're so afraid yet they're hiding in a room. Jesus walks through the wall and shows him the holes in his hands. And you know the great impact they had? Look at the last book of John, chapter 21, verse 3. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. Then he said to them, we're going with you also. So they went out immediately, got in the boat, and that night they caught nothing. They just went back to their old comfortable ways. And guess what? They weren't very productive, were they? So they didn't have some great impact. all right. But Jesus said, I know you're going to be sad I'm leaving, but I'm going to go to the Father. I'm sending you the Holy Spirit, the Helper, so you can have power to be a witness. Listen what happens in the book of Acts as they go to the wait room. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire. One sat upon each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, began to speak with other tongues, as the Spirit gave them utterance. And you go on and read that whole chapter, what happened. But basically, we have Galileans all speaking in a way that all the other nationalities are hearing them in their own language, praising God. All kinds of different nationalities are hearing in their own language. Okay? And then, I don't know what else was going on, but it must have been a little crazy, because they said, Hey, it's, you guys must be drunk from what we're seeing. The Bible does say, don't be drunk on wine, but be filled with the Spirit. But he said, and even Peter said, hey, even fishermen don't get drunk at nine in the morning. He said, this is a prophecy that was in the book of Joel, that I will, God will pour out His Spirit on all flesh. Sons and daughters are prophesying. And so it was a prophetic word. And Peter begins to share this promise about the Holy Spirit and begins to tell Him to be saved from a per- perverse and evil generation. And 3,000 people are saved. I'm telling you, now they're making impact. The same guy that denied Christ, that cussed like a sailor, now he's standing up in the middle of the streets, not afraid of anything, bold as a lion, and 3,000 people get saved. And not only that, all these disciples, and think about it, first they saw things with their eyes, they heard things with their ears, but it wasn't enough to really have the impact other than being filled with the Holy Spirit. Because these same guys all died a martyr's death now. Instead of running, one was cut in half, One was burned, drugged through the streets. Another one was hung upside down because he felt he wasn't worthy to be hung right side up. I'm telling you, it was more than just something they saw. They had an experience. And it's an experience other than salvation that everyone in this room can have if he asks for it. I'm going to come back to that in a minute. But you know what? When we talk about the baptism of the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues, denominational walls go flying up demonic opposition comes roaring up. Why? Because the devil does not want you to have power. First, he doesn't want you to get saved. But once that happens, well, just sit in a church pew and don't, you know, make any waves. But, oh, man, don't get filled with the power of the Holy Spirit because all of a sudden you'll begin to be a witness. Luke 11, 9. And here's the thing. Have you even asked for the power? And if this is kind of new to you, new territory... First of all, I encourage you to go through the Connect class, but especially the class after that. And it's by the man Robert Morris from Gateway, who's a Baptist preacher back in the day. Now, he's the pastor at Gateway. He has a video series. We watch this four weeks long called The Spirit-Filled Life. And he explains it very simply because some of you could have had some bad experiences. But first of all, he makes this point. The Holy Spirit is not weird. Okay, people are weird. And maybe you've had an experience with some weird people. But, I mean, just remember when we just stopped and were quiet a minute ago? And just that peace we sensed? I mean, that's just the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's like a dove, very peaceful. And He wants to just come meet you where you're at and help you. But listen to what it says in Luke, if you just ask for it. So I say to you, ask and it'll be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it'll be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds. To him who knocks, it will be opened. Now, what are we talking about? Let's continue to read. If a son asks for bread... From any father among you, would he give him a stone? Or if he asked for a fish, would he give him a serpent instead of a fish? Or if he asked for an egg, would he offer him a scorpion? Then we're thinking, no good father would do that. But it says, even you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? You're asking God for something, okay? We'll come to that, back to that in a minute. Well, first of all, kind of my story... I gave my life to Christ in a football chapel service and things begin to change in my life. I mean, I have a peace, a sense of of purpose, but there was still this thought, there's got to be more. And I would try to witness because I knew I should. And I witnessed to one of my friends on the football team. I said, man, you need to ask Christ in your life. You need to get saved. And he'd look at me. He said, why? You're no different than me. I was going to the same parties, doing some of the same stuff. There was not really that change in my life. It was starting to, but not like it really needed to be. And then when I started going to a Bible study with some other football players, and the guy leading the Bible study was just, he wasn't throwing any religious stuff or denominational stuff. He was just laying out the Word, and we'd read it, and let the Holy Spirit just speak to us. But it was in the book of Acts, about how all the people that were, how you saw in Acts 19 where people were saved, but they hadn't had the experience of being baptized in the Spirit. And yes, when you're saved, you do have the Holy Spirit, because that's the only way you can get saved. Is the Holy Spirit revealing that you need a Savior, that, you're, that you need um, to get things right with God. But then we're talking about another experience where you're baptized, immersed, filled, drenched with the Holy Spirit. And I'm telling you, when that happened to me, and in this Bible study the last week, and I've got these thoughts. Man, there must be more. There's got to be something something more than what I'm experiencing. And this guy, Danny Bugs, who played for the Washington Redskins, he put a hand on my shoulder. He looked me right in the eyes. He said, you're wanting more of God, aren't you? I thought, man, how did he know that? I mean, I'm just thinking that, and he's saying it. And then he began to pray for me. I'd be filled with the Spirit. And he began to speak in other tongues. And that's the first time I heard But it didn't really scare me. I've been reading about it in the Bible. And... But here's the thing I remember: I didn't open my mouth, so nothing came out. Maybe it would've if I'd opened my mouth. I don't know. But I just felt this unbelievable presence and power. I begin to cry. Just, just tears begin to flood. And I tell you, I didn't even cry at my best friend's funeral, that we were in a roommate in college, just because I tried to be a man and suck it up. But this time, and it wasn't sad tears. It was just the presence of God or something. It just, I mean, I just felt such a peace, such a I, God was doing something. And it was answering my prayer that I wanted more of him. And I went home that night, and I just got on my knees and said, God, I realize this is from you. So I'm asking you from it, for it so I can trust you. So I want to be filled with this power. And, you know, I just thanked him, and I just stayed in his presence. And I've got a thought other than English in my mind. I just spoke it out. And as I spoke it out, more would come, and it begin to flow, like rivers flowing out of my belly, not out of my head. But here's one thing you need to understand. Every one of you could have a different experience. But just get it from God. You know, some people, I mean, it just happens immediate. I had a friend, it was about a week later, listening to Christian music, driving his car, and it, that prayer language began to flow. But the Apostle Paul said, I wish you could all speak in tongues. Okay? But he had to write this the book of Corinthians to help bring order because when you get an exciting gift like that, my friend and I, Mike Kagan we got... Fills the Spirit, and it just, we were just, ex- we go to Bible studies, we just go up to people and want to pray for them and lay hands on, you know, dogs, cats, you name it. We just, we were just excited. But my wife would run from Mike Hagan, because she I don't want him praying for me. I don't want him, you know, they're just too crazy. But yet she knew, she saw something different in my life, and she's out in the backyard sunbathing, and she's just talking to God, you know, God, I want this. He filled her with it, in a very gentle way, filled her with the Spirit, and she got that brand new prayer language. See... If in Corinthians, they were so excited, they were using their prayer language all the time. And we couldn't do that right now. People to walk in and say, man, these people are crazy. That's why there needs to be order in church. And if there is a tongue, it's interpreted, and only one at a time. But what I'm talking about is not the gift of tongues. I'm talking about a prayer language you receive, where I don't know what I'm praying, but God does. I'm praying directly to Him, bypassing my understanding. It's a powerful gift, and it's nothing we're ever going to force on you. But it's there, if you're hungry, here's the buffet, come and get it. And I think it's what a lot of you are looking for. Matter of fact, I believe God bri- divinely brought some of you here for a season just to experience His power, and to be able to go out and be able to release it into the, into the world. Amen? Amen? Let's talk about the letter E real quick. The letter E stands for Establish Boundaries, okay? Fences keep things out, Correct like bad people, ferocious animals that can do damage and they can protect your children or your pets so fences can be a good thing. Now, doesn't it seem like golf should be a breeze? I mean, doesn't that seem like an easy thing? I mean, first of all, you got this great big old fat club, a little bitty ball. I mean, it's not like baseball where there's something coming at you at 95 miles an hour and you got to hit it. Or like hockey, a puck going 100 miles an hour. I mean, we're talking about little bitty ball, Big old fat club. I mean, it just seemed like, boom, you could just hit that thing down the middle of the fairway, no problem. It's a Cinderella story. A little unknown here at Augusta, rising to the top. 450 yards, he picks a two-iron. Whoa, that's why I can't play golf, you know, just a little too much power, I guess. (laughs) It might take a while for the dust to settle. But you know what? One of the greatest play, the greatest of all players, it's only a little over 50% of the time do they hit down the middle of the fairway. Even a guy named Tiger Woods, it's about 55% of the time. And so you got this fairway right down the middle, but on the other side of the coin, you've got trees, you've got water, you've got these little white stakes called out-of-bounds, all right? And when you go out-of-bounds, it costs you a penalty. It costs you a stroke a matter of fact, there's a saying, out of bounds, lose ground. And a professional knows that when he goes out of bounds in a tournament, it could cost him the tournament. It could cost him thousands, maybe a million dollars. I mean, it costs you to go out of bounds. And life is a lot like golf. Success is determined by knowing where the boundaries are and staying within those bounds. Okay, because both penalty and punishment are going to wait you if you ignore those boundaries. How many have experienced some punishment by getting out of bounds? I mean, even legally, what happens there? A successful CEO can go to prison for crossing financial boundaries. United States president can be impeached for crossing legal boundaries. A marriage can be destroyed by a spouse crossing sexual boundaries. A ministry can be disgraced when a pastor crosses moral boundaries. It is a non-toxic powder, but we might need some water there, that front row. You know, in real estate, a boundary is a property line that marks personal property for an individual or a business that separates us from other people's property. And a boundary in a personal life is a boundary that says, uh, this is the yes side and this is the no side. These are the things they say yes to and the things they say no to. And boundaries help keep us in balance as well as keep us in bounds. Boundaries are the key to good relationships. Would you agree with that? And everyone has certain boundaries we should either cross into or let them cross into our boundaries. And boundaries are the key to proper time management. Boundaries can help you realize that you can't do everything all the time for everybody. you got to prioritize. Boundaries are a key to good stewardship and productive life. And just like boundaries define property, they can also define people. All right? In a real sense, boundaries define us. Boundaries define who I am and who I'm not. a matter of fact, boundaries can kind of say where I stop and somebody else begins. Do you like it when you get to that, where this is not me anymore? And that starts to begin where you know, hey, I shouldn't even be out there and shouldn't be acting like this. They can really define things. And many people think of boundaries as something that limits who you are and what you can do. But boundaries free you to be who you are and what you can do. They really do. So some things about boundaries, real quick. Number one, determine you're going to have boundaries. That's the first thing about boundaries. You've got to decide you're going to have some boundaries. Okay? Our physical skin's a boundary. Keeps viruses and things out. Keeps the blood and everything in. Have you had anybody ever get under your skin? They kind of got into your space, didn't they? They got into your boundary. So boundaries can be good. God has boundaries, doesn't he? He's got the ten suggestions. Oh, Oh, wait a minute. Oh, those are commandments. I think it's Adrian Rogers says, when you see thou shalt not, it's really saying God doesn't want you to be hurt. So don't do this. Or thou shalt, God wants you to be blessed by doing this. Yeah. This is a book of success. Other thing about boundaries. Number two, decide where your boundaries, what your boundaries will be. you got to decide what they'll be. Have you ever heard the old saying, insanity is genetic, you inherit it from your kids? Well, we don't inherit boundaries. Boundaries are something we build. Okay, they're something we establish. A young man in the Bible named Daniel, 605 years before Christ, Jerusalem comes, invade, or the Babylonians come, invade Jerusalem, conquer the city. They take them back, some young teenagers, as prizes, as trophies, and they're going to just kind of brainwash them. They're going to feed them their food. They're going to teach them their language, their culture, and they're going to be like their little trophies. So basically, they're going to get brainwashed. But Daniel had some boundaries. Daniel eight. Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's delicacies nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore he requested of the chief of eunuchs that he might not defile himself. So he drew a line. He said, I'm not going to sin against God and eat your stuff. But the head, the head guy over him said, hey, wait a minute, Daniel. Uh, if I let you eat this way, what if you get all wimpy and skinny and then I get my head chopped off? Daniel, just give me, just give me a try at it. So Daniel found favor. He eats the way God says to eat, and when he looks more buff than the rest of them. And he's even more wise. The Bible says 10 times more wise than anybody else in the world. I mean, God just blessed him because he drew those boundaries. See, too often, spiritually, we eat from the world's table. Daniel said, I'm not eating from the world's table. And I'm telling you, what goes in these ear gates and eye gates can make a difference. But you know one of the most powerful words we use at this level in relationships is the word no. Let's try it. One, two, three. No. Our teenagers really know that when we ask them to do something. They know that word. But a lot of times we get around the friends and the peer pressure, we can't say no. But I'm telling you, no is a powerful word. And that word can keep you down the fair way of life. Number three, devote yourself to live within the boundaries. All right? Establish them. Determine you're going to have them. Establish them and then live within them. And every day you look down the fairway of life, you got God's will on one side to keep you in bounds, you got God's word on the other side. He wants you to stay in the fairway. He wants you to prosper and be successful. He really does. He'll never take you out of bounds, okay? Do you have boundaries as a family? Do you have boundaries as a teenager? You know, it's too late to set boundaries sexually when you're in the backseat of the car and the windows are all steamed over. It's a little late then, in the heat of the battle. I've encouraged my children, if they decide they want to do this date, courtship, whatever you want to call it, that they write down some standards that I can look at them. That way it's on paper. It has power when it's on paper. It's not just something out in the air you can change, but no. And they said, we're not going to ride with somebody of the opposite sex. When I was in youth ministry, we had standards, but we'd let the youth decide. We'd give them some suggestions, suggestions, but they would decide. How many know Autumn and Joe Dawson here at our church? Okay, they have a good marriage, right? Great marriage. But you know what? Autumn was one of our youth leaders. And this guy Joe, Joe, from somewhere over at another church or something, supposedly a youth pastor, I don't know who he is, but I've said you better have some standards here. But they had standards. They weren't even going to touch each other, ride with each other, kiss each other, anything like that. And Joe told me earlier in this service it wasn't so much just for them, but they wanted to be a testimony to their children and their children's children. You know, it's not convenient to have to take separate cars somewhere. It costs you, doesn't it? Matter of fact, there's a minister by the name of Greg Allison. He's the founder of Mid-America Seminary. He said if Adrian Rogers' wife, Beverly, was standing on the street in the rain, he wouldn't stop if he was alone and let her in the car. He said, I might give her my car and I'd go walk in the rain, but I'm not going to put myself in that situation. And the years I've been here, ministry, I, I will not put myself in a car or go out to a lunch with a co-worker of the opposite sex. Amen? Devote yourself to live within the boundaries. And you need to win the battle at the gates. I talked about the ear gates and the eye gates, okay? There's a phrase that says, you are what you eat. That means your food can affect you in a positive or a negative way. Okay, what you take in, these ear gates and eye gates, can affect you spiritually. a matter of fact, most men battle with what's in called Impulsive lust. All right? That means it's spontaneous. They just see a, a beautiful girl and they start getting these thoughts. Okay? It's more impulsive. Spontaneous. But women battle with selective lust. That means the right person says the right thing. Oh, you're so pretty today. It comes from the right person and says the right thing. See, it's selective because she... She doesn't let everybody push her buttons. There's just certain things or sayings, okay? So men are led into sexual sin through the eye gates. From what they see, women is more selective through their ear gates, what they hear. And that's just a brief example, okay? There needs to be boundaries with what we allow in these eye gates and ear gates. I'm telling you, the media comes literally to brainwash us. And you really have to be cautious. That's why you better at least have as much or more of this as you do everything else. You know, there's an old proverb that says, He who would not fall must not walk in slippery places. Is that right? You know, there is a story of a uh, young Indian. To reach his man, and he had to climb to the top of this mountain. To, to prove he's a man, he had to go alone and, and survive along the way. And as he gets up, he gets you know, it gets toward dark and he makes it to the top of the mountain. And then he looks down and there's a snake. And it's starting to get cold, so the snake is just barely starting to move, and the snake talks to him and says, Hey, why don't you just pick me up and take me to the bottom of the mountain? And the Indian boy says, I can't do that. You're you're a venomous snake. You'd bite me. Oh, no, no, no. I promise. Just take me down. Let me go, because otherwise I'm just going to die up here. Conversation goes on. Finally, the the Indian says, Okay, you won't hurt me, right? Yeah. So he picks him up, puts him inside his coat. As he walks down the mountain, what's happening? The snake's beginning to warm up. He gets all the way down to the bottom of the mountain. He lets the snake out. And what does the snake do? Bam, bites him. And he's starting to stagger and he says, I I thought you said you wouldn't bite me. He looks at him and says, You knew what I was when you picked me up. And I'm telling you, some of those things we pick up, you need to ask God today to help you set free from some things. Because His power is here to set people free. I really believe that. Boundaries are a blessing. As I close, I want to remind us of those points from the word escape. E stood for what? Environment. S, spend time with God. C, confess, claim scripture. A, accountability. P, power. And E, establish boundaries. Okay? I want to go back to the P word, to power. Okay? You need power to be a witness. You need power to overcome these temptations. Alright? And just like I said, I wasn't being a very good witness without that power. And that don't get hung up on the tongues thing. Get hung up on the power thing. Okay? That you need power to be a witness. The same power that raised Christ from the dead dwells in me and can dwell in you. You know, I got a glove here. Glove, right? I lay it there. I got a Bible. I say, okay, Mr. Glove, I want you to pick up Mr. Bible here. Go ahead. Nothing happens. Okay, Mr. Glove, this is what you do. You just pick it up. See, not that hard. Just pick it up. There you go. Okay, now give it a shot. Nothing. But what happens here when something goes inside this glove and fills it? Now it's able to do it. Now, was it the glove doing it? I'm telling you, God wants to fill some of you. And when he does, you'll find out, you'll begin to have that strength to say no to the things you need to say no to. And yes, the things you need to say yes to. Because that same spirit that raised Christ from the dead can dwell in you. It's powerful. Amen? Wonderworking power. Dynamite power. Raising the dead power. Here's what we're going to do as we close. In a minute, we're going to close our eyes. And those of you that want this power, I'm just going to have you ask God, okay? And with every head bowed and eye closed in just a moment. And you can raise your hand, and you can ask God for this if you really want. If you haven't experienced it, or if you've never received that prayer language, I'll let you and God work it out, okay? But before we go to that question and do that part, I want to ask you one other question. If you died today, would you go to heaven or would you go to hell? And you should not leave this place without knowing that. Okay? And well, how could you ever know that? Well, do what the Bible says. That if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. And 1 John 5 says you can know where you spend eternity. When you have that relationship. I'm not talking about religion. That's man's best effort to reach God. I'm talking about a relationship you can have where you invite God to come in. And he won't force his way in. He wants an invitation. All right? And so today, if you're here not sure where you'd spend eternity, never ask Christ in your life. First of all, how many here in this room at some point have either raised your head, hand, come up to an altar, done something publicly to ask Christ in your life? Hold your hand up. Put it back down. If you weren't able to raise it or it just took a while thinking, this prayer is for you. Okay? And so with every eye open, every head looking around to see who's going to do this, When I count to three, if you're serious with God, you raise your hand. And by raising your hand, you're not voting for me. You're not joining a church. What you're saying is, God, I want you. I want to invite Christ into my life. I want to receive that forgiveness. I want to begin to understand that plan and purpose in my life. I want to experience your peace. You're inviting Him to come in and you're willing to turn from your ways and follow Him. I'm telling you, He'll come in a powerful way. So on account count of three, if you need to get right with God for the first time or get back on track, raise your hand. One, two, three. See your hand already? Yours, 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 yours. Anybody else? Over there. See your hand. I'm telling you, these last two services, we've been praying for this service because I knew some people had some divine appointments here. I really knew that. And some of you probably had a hard time getting to church. But I want to tell you, Listen to me. God loves you. What's He ever done for you? He sent His Son to die on that cross. The most brutal death He could ever experience. In a moment, we're going to stand on our feet. I want everybody that raised your hand for this prayer, when we do, to walk over to that cross. And Pastor Joe's going to meet you over there. He's got a little booklet He wants to give you. Any other family members want to come with Him? You're welcome to. But before we do that, there's one other thing I want to address. And as we're all sitting here, this is the place where you can close your eyes now. And this is between you and God. If you want that power, you want to get, you just want to ask Him for it. Just close your eyes, and this is not anybody's business but yours today. And you want more of God, more of that power. You want to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. You want to be filled with the Spirit. You want that prayer language that God has for you. I just want you to kind of lift up your hand toward God right now. Just keep your eyes closed, but just lift up your hand if you want more of that. We see hands going up all over. Amen. Amen. Let me just pray for you as you're doing that. Father, I pray that you sovereignly baptize these people with the Holy Spirit and power to be a witness. Lord, we thank you that Jesus, you're the one that baptizes. So I ask you to, baptize. I ask you to breathe upon them. I pray your wind will just come upon them right now they'll sense your presence they'll sense you doing something in their life so I say be filled with the spirit of God in Jesus and I pray that prayer language will begin to come forth too in the name of Jesus you know as we're just playing music if you know during this time before we leave if you just feel something stirring just begin to whisper just begin to whisper that new thought that's coming in your mind and just let it begin to flow but here's how we're going to close the altar team I want you to come up right now and begin to just stand up here and we're going to open up the altars for anything you might need. Whether you want healing in your body and you want prayer, whether it's something in this message, something's just kind of gripped you and there's a temptation or some sort of hook the enemy has and you want somebody to pray for that to be broken, we'll pray for that. Just any prayer need will be up here. But here in just a moment, we're going to sing through this once I'll dismiss you. But let's stand to our feet. All those that raised your hand to ask Christ in your life, let's give them a hand clap as they head toward the cross. We're proud of that decision you made. Family member can come with them. We got some information we want to give you. All those that raised your hand, ask Christ in your life. If you'll head over to the cross, the rest of us, let's begin to sing that song. And some of you need to come up and go ahead and let somebody lay hands on you and pray that prayer that you be filled. Or just agree with them, whatever it may be. Let's, let's pray and worship just a second here. In just a few moments here, I'm going to dismiss you. But we're going to go ahead and stay, the altar team. We're going to continue to worship. For some of you that asked for that power, you might just need to come around the altar, or just kind of come up front and just sit a little bit in the presence of God and just let Him speak to you, you speak to Him, and just let Him kind of seal this thing, okay? And also, I want to make sure we have a believer that's with every one of those people that raised their hand. So it doesn't have to be the altar team, but just somebody that has a heart. For, for uh, somebody getting saved today, just make sure they have somebody to pray with them. But otherwise, I dismiss you. Go in peace. Be blessed. Be a witness. Hopefully, we'll see you Wednesday night. Altars are still open. We're going to worship just another song or two.